Welcome to the official podcast of the Mount Terubido Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you for joining us for our series, Under the Shadow of Tuskegee. Our speaker for today is Dr. Eric Walsh. Our message is entitled, Slave Food, Weaponizing Nutrition. It's always good to be home. Always good to be home. Praise God for you. couple quick things before I get into the Word today. I wanted to uh, recognize one of my mentors, someone who I love like family. She's like a sister to me, and it's her high birthday today, and these flowers are for her. Is Sister Sylvia Woodson here now? There she is. All right. Happy birthday. I I love you, so I won't sing it to you. Um, Well, we praise God for you and all the work you've done here at Rubido all the years, um, raising our children. <laughs> so we praise God for you. Also, um, Pastor also told me to remind everyone to, to just kind of hang back after service. There are a couple of announcements he wants to make, um, and I want to make sure I say it now so I don't forget, but is Dr. Columbus Batiste here? Uh, I think he's in the house somewhere. If he just stand up wherever he is. This afternoon at or this evening, actually at 6.30, we're going to be doing a talk, the second part of this talk. So you do not want to miss that. Um, we are working on some big things, and, and we are, um, we're trying to get some information together. So we want you to come back uh, to hear that tonight, in case I don't say it directly in the, in the talk. With that said, we're going to get right into God's Word today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Numbers, the 11th chapter, starting at verse 4. Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse 4. The Bible says, and when the people complained, it it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. The fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed Unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and when Moses prayed, and he called the name of the place Tabera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Verse 4 says, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel wept again and said, who shall give us flesh? To eat. Who shall give us flesh to eat? Our message this Sabbath is entitled Slave Food, Weaponizing Nutrition. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. Father God, once again, I ask that you make me just a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. That you take your Holy Spirit and you hammer that nail into a wall. And Father God, today Eric Walsh is not seen or heard. Instead, Father God, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. Hang a portrait of Jesus Christ upon that nail so that you are lifted up and seen. It is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Each of the ten plagues represented one of the Egyptian gods that was defeated as God moved his people out of bondage and into freedom. They crossed the Red Sea. One of the pharaohs, a prominent pharaoh, was destroyed. Many today, as we celebrate Black History Month, we, we go back to Egypt as our, as our, as our greatest roots. We, 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 we often go back to, to, to the things of ancient Egypt. And yes, the ancient Egyptians were quite, quite incredible Black African people. But spiritually, God delivered us out of that bondage because Egypt represented sin. 
all the knowledge in the world without being able to translate it into justice for everyone. All the knowledge that ancient Egypt had, yet the ancient Egyptians lived a life contrary to the God Jehovah. And even after the children of Israel got out and were in the wilderness, there was a steady cry to go back to Egypt. Let me tell you something, just as we weren't supposed to go back to Egypt then, I hope you're not going back to Egypt today worshiping ancient Egyptian gods and putting their symbolisms all over you. If you want great African history that is spiritually profound, I I challenge you to study the Queen of Sheba. I, I challenge you to study the fact that in the Bible, Africa sends queens. I challenge you to study the scripture and find that the Queen of Sheba took knowledge of the Creator God back to Africa long before it went anywhere else in the world. I challenge you to study the the story of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch who when he was discovered by the uh, Apostle Philip, he was already reading the book of Isaiah. Don't tell me Christianity is a white man's religion. If you really understand Christianity, and if you study, if you read the great controversy, there are passages in there where the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White tells us that the very Sabbath itself was protected in Africa. Oh, y'all missing this thing. Y'all missing this thing. You have a legacy of truth that in, in, back into Africa that is far more profound than most of us give God credit for. But as they came out, they, they, they were consumed because they started to complain. God does not like a complaining people. We'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. Well, verse 4 of Numbers 11 says that the mixed multitude that was amongst them fell a lusting. The children of Israel were impacted by their lusting. These Egyptians had come out because they saw that the God Jehovah won in the battle of those ten plagues. They saw that God was a superior God to any God they had. That's right. Jehovah was more powerful than Ra. Than Isis or Osiris. They saw it firsthand. And so some of the Egyptians did not follow them because their hearts were in the right place. They followed them because they wanted to be on the winning team. Scripture goes on and it says in verse 6, they cried out more, our soul is dried away and there's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed and the color thereof as the color of bedellium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it on a martyr and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. When the children of Israel needed food, this is profound. God actually dropped, as the psalmist David says in the book of Psalms, angels food on them. (laughs) And, and, And what's interesting as you listen to it is that it says that it had the taste of a perfected oil. One of the most, uh, one of the most uh, addicting tastes you have is the taste for fatty substances. It's profound that he sent something that had what sounds like a carbohydrate base, but had the texture and taste of, a, of an oil. Because in that combination, the taste buds would be completely satisfied. Oh, y'all missing this thing. The manna was angel's food. It was a complete protein. It had everything they needed. And in order for them to spice it up, they could beat it into powder. They could cook it and bake it into cakes. They could do all sorts of things with this manna. It was all the food they would ever need. It was the best food on earth because it came from heaven. Watch this. Even when God feeds his people directly, oh, yeah. it is not enough. 
even when God gives you everything that you would need, it is often not enough. And in this case, the manna is rejected. And so they go into a, a fit, actually. And they begin to complain about this thing so much that Moses, <laughs> Moses has to say, listen, God, I, I don't know what you did with me here. Why you gave me all these people to take care of? Because I can't take care of all these people. In fact, he uses an analogy where he actually says, did he bear them? Did he carry them in his womb? Now, he a man, he ain't got a womb. They were driving Moses so crazy, he was talking about uh, having them uh, nursing on him and everything, if you read the verse. Moses is like, look, God, how am I supposed to deal with these cantankerous people? I don't have what they want. And then God says, don't worry, I will give them flesh to eat. And Moses is like, wait a minute, where in the world are we going to get enough flesh to feed all these people? Are we going to kill all the animals we have so that they can eat? God says, is my hand waxed short? <laughs> if I wanted to give them meat, I would have given them meat from the beginning. In fact, the Spirit of Prophecy tells us that the reason God held back giving them meat was because He wanted them to have a time where they were able to process themselves out of being Egyptian. That process was not simply a spiritual process, it was a physical one. The way that you eat, she says, will affect the way that you behave. Your susceptibility to temptation is tied up in your diet. And so, the God of the universe said, listen, I'm going to withhold meat for them for a while, and I'm going to withhold it so that they can fast and be purified from its intoxicating effect. And even then, they cried for meat. In verse 18, we'll jump forward a little bit. It says, and say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves again tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. For ye have wept into the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it is well with us in Egypt. For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. Here's what you got, one of the interesting things about the story. They equated diet with place. In other words, there's a, old, a movie with a guy named Nino Brown. I won't, say, I won't say the name of the movie, but everybody he deals with, he describes them by their food. If he's dealing with a Jamaican, he'd be like, that curry goat eating Jamaican is not… That meatball and spaghetti eating Italian is not going to… Because food is connected to geography. What you can grow or catch is connected to geography. Understand that their desire for meat was really a statement to God that they would rather be slaves in Egypt than live uncomfortably in the wilderness with God. That really what they were saying is that their diet uh, uh, that they had in Egypt, they would prefer to sit in front of the flesh pots of Egypt as slaves than to eat the manna of heaven as free men in a difficult wilderness. But God was trying to protect them. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 5 it says, And the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all your enemies. Watch this. The children of Israel were coming out of a situation where they were the victims of health disparities. There were diseases that they were getting as slaves that other folk didn't get. The food that they were being fed was a very simple diet. They could not afford the best food, fruits, vegetables, and so forth. They were eating, if you study it, uh, predominantly bread and a few pieces of fruit and some fish every now and again. Their diet was not very expansive. And when they could, they ate all the meat the Egyptians would let them eat. In fact, the Egyptians used the meat and bear. I didn't notice, but the Egyptians brewed bear in ancient Egypt. <laughs> I could say a lot on that one, but… And, and wine. And, they, and, and so they were used to a diet of cheap carbohydrate foods, fried meats, and alcohol. 
in order to preserve the food, there was a lot of salt put in the food. And the Egyptian used the food to control them as slaves. Are you getting this thing? In other words, the secret to owning slaves is to keep them just sick enough that they can't run, but healthy enough so that they can work. But God wanted something different for them. He wanted something different from them. In fact, Exodus 15, 26 says it like this and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, look at this. He says, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. What diseases? It's in the medical imaging you see there from the Journal of, the, of American Cardiolog- Cardiological Imaging. That is the atherosclerotic plaques of ancient Egyptian mummies. The very same disease that is the number one killer in the United States of America was the number one killer in ancient Egypt. And it's undisputed because mummy after mummy, when they drag them up and they run them through these machines, shows that they have uh, atherosclerotic calcified plaques, not just around their heart, but even, as some of those show you, in big arteries like their aorta. Which means that the ancient Egyptians were dying of strokes and heart attacks. And when God brought them out, he brought them out and wanted them to no longer suffer the disease of the slavery he was bringing them out of. This month's focus here at Rubido is on on remembering what happened at Tuskegee. Tuskegee, this Tuskegee experiment was a horrible thing. Can you imagine the idea that when penicillin was finally invented, they, they refused to give it to people that they knew had syphilis? and allowed it to happen. And here's what's crazy about syphilis. It doesn't just necessarily affect the individual because of the way the disease works. It can actually affect the individual's offspring. So what you were really doing, and this was funded by the Centers of Disease Control. This was a government program. Watch this. What you learn as you begin to study health in America is that the government has not been our friend. In fact, Patriarchs and Prophets says it like this, God might as easily have provided them with flesh as with manna, but a restriction was placed upon them for their good. It was his purpose to supply them with food better suited to their wants than the feverish diet which many had become accustomed to in Egypt. The perverted appetite was to be brought into a more healthy state that they might enjoy the food originally provided for man, the fruits of the earth, which God gave to Adam and Eve in Eden. It was for this reason that the Israelites had been deprived in great measure of animal food. She says, Satan tempted them to regard this restriction as unjust and cruel. He caused them to lust after forbidden things because he saw that the unrestrained indulgence of appetite would tend to produce sensuality. And by this means, the people could be more easily brought under his control. The author of disease and misery will assail men where he can have the greatest success. Through through temptations addressed to the appetite, he has, to a large extent, led men into sin from time when he, from the time he induced Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. It was by this same means that he led Israel to murmur against God. She says, intemperance in eating and drinking, leading as it does to the indulgence of the lower passions, prepares the way for men to, to disregard all moral obligations. When assailed by temptation, they have little power of resistance. You see, Satan invented the idea of using food to enslave us. Let let me, we've been talking about education. Last year when I I did Black History Month, I talked about education a, a lot. And as a physician, one of the things that I've learned is that how people eat 
has a great impact on how they learn. So, Spirit of Prophecy is talking about temptation, but the reality is, if you really study it, a child who goes to school in the morning and has not eaten breakfast cannot focus and do well in school. The reason is that your brain only functions on simple glucose, simple sugars. And so if you don't eat anything, your blood sugar is lower, the child is going to be more irritable and have a much more difficult time focusing. If on the flip side, what the child gets on the way to school is a honey bun. A soda pop. A Twinkie, which I've told you over the years, a Twinkie is not real food. It is a food-like substance. What happens is you get this massive spike in blood sugar, and for the first few periods, the kid might be on fire, wired, can't sit still. But as insulin does what it does, the the blood sugar drops super low, and when the blood sugar drops super low, because of how simple that sugar is, the brain is quickly depleted of energy, and the child will turn off. What we know is that if you want your child to do well in school, what they eat in the morning is the most important thing. And there are studies that show a plant protein-based breakfast combined with a long-burning, slow-burning carbohydrate, whole-grain, steel-cut oats, for example, will actually allow for your child not to get the ups and downs in energy that will cause them to not do well in school. That is how important diet actually is. And if you look at the the performance gap between black and white children, which is now more a performance gap between poor and rich children, I would guarantee you that if we did the studies, diet would be one of the key reasons we don't do as well. Food has been used as change for a long time. All and all the way back to slavery, in order for them to really keep people slaves, what they did was they, on a slave ship where they had people, I was reading the stories of how they packed people on slave ships. One of the stories is so heartbreaking that when, after Great Britain, under William Wilberforce, stopped the, um, the, the Atlantic slave trade, and the United States a year later joined in. We didn't stop slavery in the United States, but we stopped the slave trade. Our ships would be off the coast of Africa, capturing ships that were often run by, uh, by Portuguese or Spaniard um, uh, slave ship owners, and they captured them. And one of the stories of them going on the ship was heartbreaking. They get on the ship and they say that they, the, the slaves were left in, in compartments that were about three feet high. It was, it was set up, so it was so short that they couldn't lay all the way back and they couldn't sit all the way up. And so for the time of the middle, the weeks it would take to cross the Atlantic in the Middle Passage, many of them would be sitting there in that uncomfortable position in their own excrement. And what they did is they calculated the minimal amount of food that they would have to give the slave so that they would arrive on the other side safely. The problem is the captains always wanted more profit. So where do you think you pull if you want to make more profit on the same ship. You're pulled from the food content. So watch this, because this is a modern-day slavery epidemic. If you want to control and destroy a people, give them food, but pull its nutrition from it. If you want to really control somebody, make them a dollar menu at the local fast food store. Make the bread so that it does not spoil. I challenge you to go buy a Happy Meal, put it in a a plastic wrap and stick it in your closet. And here's what I challenge you to do. Forget about it. And then go back a year later and look at how that bread still is white and spongy. I mean, it might be a little tougher than it was, but you know why? I've told you this over the years. The reason that that bread won't spoil is because even the bacteria and the fungus know there's no nutrition in it. (laughs) Once you understand it, because this is one of the things I want you to get from this talk today. It's not a typical sermon. I want you to get the idea that every time we indulge in the food of Egypt, we murmur against the knowledge God has given us. 
I want you to understand that every time we go into a fast food joint and, and, and raid the dollar menu, what we are actually doing is making ourselves slaves to a pharmaceutical and medical industry that does not necessarily have your best interest at heart. I want you to understand that you are still in that three-foot box. Every time your food comes wrapped in, in styrofoam and paper, that in fact we have all been victims of one of the greatest oppressive corporate uh, uh, schemes in the world's history. The idea that we would all be taught that a nutritionless substance is food. And it started on the slave ship. Tonight at 630, we'll talk about what the food was like for Africans before they got on a slave ship. Big difference. Africans adapted their cultures to the influences, resources, and severe restrictions they experienced in slavery. Slaves were issued what was considered to be the lesser cut of the hog, such as the feet, the head, the ribs, the fat back, or the internal organs. Let me tell you something. What the masters did is they decided we are not going to give them the good food. When we kill a pig, we'll eat the legs and we'll eat the back and we'll eat the parts that we like, but they're going to get the nose, the foot, and the, and the chitlins. Everybody in here don't know what chitlins is, y'all. Everybody don't know what chitlins is. Let me break that thing down. In other words, they would give them the intestines of a pig to eat. Now, here's how deep that is. In the scripture, no animal is as forbidden consistently as the consumption of a pig. There was no greater insult you could give a people than to feed them the guts of a pig. I remember once I was dating this girl, and boy, it was in Ghouls in Miami. Anybody know Miami? I shouldn't even be telling this. But I remember I went to go visit her at her grandma's house in Ghouls. And I turned off US-1. Anybody been to Miami know what US-1 is in South Dade County? And I turned and I said, what is that? I turned on the street. I said, what is that smell? I, I never got to the house. I didn't even know which. I said, what in the world? It's like, like a whole bunch of people done died on this street. And as I got closer to that, and I know GPS, I'm counting. You know, I'm looking at door signs trying to... I get to the house, I turn, I said, boy, it's stronger over here. I got out my car and she opened the front door and I nearly passed out. My eyes was watering, I was nauseous. I ran and jumped back in my little Toyota and got back on it. I ain't talked to that girl till today. I don't know what happened to that girl. Some stuff isn't supposed to be eaten. It's slave food because the master knew it wasn't supposed to be eaten. And just like during that time when they gave you the leftovers, every time we walk into the fast food store and the junk food, we are eating the leftovers of a big, gigantic corporate agricultural process. All the soy, all the corn, all the stuff they can't figure out what to do with, they reprocess. The government gives them money and they put it in your Doritos to make your Doritos cheap. It is modern day chitlins slave food. And we don't realize that we are making folk rich as we make ourselves sick. Making ourselves sick as we make folk rich. Frederick Douglass, one of the great black leaders, said it like this. Frederick Douglass recounted rations consisted of a monthly allowance of a bushel of a third-rate corn, pickled pork, which was often tainted, and, por and poorest quality herrings, barely enough to sustain grown men and women through their back-breaking labors in the field. He also says that what they, the slave masters did was quite in, uh, interesting, is that they actually let them celebrate heavily at certain times as well and gave them much more food and even alcohol to make them drunk. And this cycle of being nutritionally impoverished and then all of a sudden gluttonous with all of this, this, this overrun uh, amount of food at like Christmas time caused them to have a warped dietary practice. That's right, that's right. 
And here's what's scary. We'll talk about this more tonight. But epigenetics says that as these foods were being given to our ancestors, much of its damaging consequences, much of the the twisted appetite through epigenetics was passed down to us. Food is chains. Interesting thing here, the book, if you have not read this book, Fast Food Genocide by Joel Furman, MD, one of my favorite authors, he writes uh, about the fact that, uh, uh, of, of how the fast food industry is actually a form of genocide against black Americans. And this is a white doctor. Black slaves had some better options with growing greens and stuff, but what was interesting is that slavery, just as it destroyed poor white Americans, because poor white Americans now didn't have jobs, slavery destroyed the job market, obviously. And what poor white Americans were told is, at the time of slavery, at least you're white. It was, it was master manipulation of poor people, period. And by telling them at least they were white, they got that. But poor white Americans, if you read in this book, one of the interesting things is that they were eating a diet that basically consisted of, of cornmeal and molasses. They developed vitamin B6 deficiencies and pellagra, a, a, a vitamin B6 deficiency disease, was rampant among poor white Americans. And that disease can make you more violent. It's not my hypothesis, but if you read Fast Food Genocide, Joel Furman tries to make the hypothesis that, in fact, much of the lynching and violence against blacks was probably the combination of being put in a position where you couldn't supply for your family because slavery existed, and then you, re- you got an acquired mental illness because of a, of a nutritional deficiency. Slave food. Well, eventually, slavery ended. There was a rise of of, of what we call soul food, used for celebrations. And what is interesting is that the once food of our oppression became delicacies. All of a sudden, we wanted wanted those foods that once oppressed us. And, And eventually, in order to escape what was one of the most violent, deadly places on earth, the American South, African-Americans began to leave. And in fact, if you really study it, it was one of the greatest refugee crises ever known to man. African-Americans left the South not because there was simply better opportunity up North, but because they were afraid of being the next one lynched down South. I have an uncle, my cousin Leon's father from America's Georgia, and he would sit and tell us horror stories. He would tell us that there were times when he would come out and he would be running from place to place in the deep south in Georgia, and when he'd be running through some of the woods, he would, the number of, of, of hanging bodies. He was so traumatized by his childhood in the south, south that Uncle Lee would not cross the Mason-Dixon. He moved to Connecticut. He would never go back down south. He said it would, it would stimulate something in him if he did. The massive amount of blacks in Detroit and Chicago, New York, and even Los Angeles didn't happen because simply we said, oh, there's much better opportunity. They were running from a persecution that most don't understand. And when that happened, as we moved, our food began to change. We still weren't making much money. And we were the early adopters of the Chinese food that came in, as Chinese immigrants came. When the Italians came in, we adapted the Italian food as well. Before it was popular, even Tex-Mex on the West Coast and in parts of the Deep South, we began to take on. We began to absorb the foods of all the different cultures even though the foods weren't prepared in the States like they are in the native lands of many of those countries, of those, of those individuals. So when you go to China, one of the interesting, when I, I, was going, I went on a, a lecture tour in China uh, several years back, and when I went, to, I went to dinner and they served me, and I told them I was vegetarian, vegan, and they were like, the Chinese waitresses were like, that's how we eat, we don't really eat meat. I was like, that's interesting, because in America, boy, they, Chinese restaurant, boy, they'll bring out a whole animal out in front of you. And, and, and so... I said, so they were fine. They gave me vegetables and stuff. And then um, they brought out this one meat. And I was like, boy, I'm so glad I don't eat meat. That looks funny. And I kept eating my vegetables. And all, I, was with a, you know, I was the only black dude. There was a whole bunch of other white Americans with me. And they just, oh, look. And they just start eating, eating, eating this stuff. So then the Chinese, Chinese waitress comes back out. How you like your donkey? <laughs> and it was funny because one of the white ladies with me, she was like, Oh my goodness, that's donkey. I can feel it kicking me in my throat. 
<laughs> but what's interesting is they didn't give you rice till the meal was over. And I said, why is it that you give us rice when the meal's over? She said, they said, because rice is a filler. In China, it is an insult to feed you rice at the beginning of the meal. You mean all them times in America they was insulting me? <laughs> White processed rice, MSG'd up. We were the first ones. Are you getting this? And then what happened, of course, is that the civil rights uh, movement um, uh, boomed. Uh, we were the ones who suffered from when the riots rocked our urban areas. You got to get this. The riots rock our urban areas, destroy them. Richard Nixon decides we got to rebuild urban areas. And guess what they do? They allow a massive small business loan program to start. Guess who gets the loan money? Fast food chains. In fact, it is out of the ashes of the riots, of the anger, of, of things like the death of or the assassination of Dr. King and Malcolm X, out of the anger of what was happening in the 60s. Here is the irony. We destroyed our neighborhoods and they used it. Remember that sermon I did many years ago called The Shock Doctrine? Naomi Campbell's book on how there are those elite in the United States who use natural disasters and great tragedies in order to bring in sweeping reform and change in a minute. When we destroyed our neighborhoods, they sat back and said, listen, as all those little mom pa shops are gone, time for some golden arches. And our tax dollars funded the invasion of fast food into our neighborhoods. Out of, our, out of the riots. And yes, all of a sudden, what we saw was the supersizing of urban America. All of a sudden, our neighborhoods went from being neighborhoods where you could find decent food and so forth to a fast food industry worth $170 billion in the United States taking advantage of us. They target low-income communities and cluster in neighborhoods with 30% or fewer supermarkets than upscale areas. What was created were food deserts. You've heard this term. So that in those neighborhoods, there's not enough health, healthy, fresh foods. That's the food desert side. But it's also a food swamp because you got flooded with, with high-calorie, low-nutrition foods into our neighborhoods. This was not an accident. Because somebody was sitting in a, in a lab, if you've ever read the book, um, Fat, Sugar, Salt, um, this is what he talks about. In fact, the company sat down and exploited the biological pathways in your brain. The same pathways that make crack cocaine so pleasing to a crack addict were the ones that they targeted to make it so that the food you eat was food that you could not stop eating. You see, the tobacco industry was sued because the tobacco industry said, our product is not addicting. And they were lying, and they knew they were lying, and they were making it more and more addicting every time they could. But the food industry has never lied. The food industry straight up says, bet you can't eat just one. The food industry says, once you pop, you can't stop. Because they've understood that you can manipulate the way dopamine is released in your brain by the way the food crunches. Y'all missing this thing. They understand that if you mix fat in the right proportion to salt and sugar in a food product, that most humans, because of the way God designed us to be able to survive in lean times, would start eating and would not be able to stop. Let me tell you something. Some of us who struggle with weight, it's not by accident. It is because you have been targeted you are being taken advantage of. This is a modern-day slavery. New York Times has run articles on it. <clears throat> that we are manufacturing addiction. In fact, most of our calories in the United States come from these foods you see listed here. Cakes and cookies, bread, chicken dishes, Chicken, one of the worst things in the world you can eat. 
soda, energy, sports drinks, pizza. Pizza is the most addicting food known to mankind. Pizza. Alcohol. And I, you know, I, don't, I know in an Adventist audience, I don't need to talk about alcohol. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Pasta, tortilla, burrito, taco, beef dishes, dairy desserts, chips, burgers, top sources of calories in the United States. What do they all have in common? They are largely the products of only seven crops in the United States. Corn, soybean, wheat, rice, sorghum, milk, and meat that are heavily subsidized by the federal government, ensuring that junk foods are cheap and plentiful, experts say. Are you getting this? In other words, instead of them taking our tax dollars and funding the growth of mangoes in Florida and oranges and apples and grapes, before they take it and make sure there's plenty of watermelon and, and, and broccoli and that, that stuff is cheap and readily accessible to everyone, what we have done is we've actually picked these crops to grow, and it's, it's kind of a, 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 a cyclical loop because much of the grain is taken and fed back to the very animals. So here's what's crazy. So instead of feeding cows grass, this is what God designed their four-part stomach to eat, they feed them products from soy. In fact, they've been caught feeding them cows. That's how you got mad cow disease. Now watch this, watch this. So when you don't feed a cow grass, the stomach, the, the pH, the acidity of the stomach of the cows goes off and it allows bacteria to grow. And one of the reasons you get these crazy E. coli outbreaks all across the United States all the time and around the world is because we've allowed ourselves to want to mass produce beef. Remember what Moses said? There's no way I could feed all these people with the animals we have. In order to make everyone be able to eat meat three times a day, you got you to you you rig the system somewhere. You got to pump hormones into the animals. You got to feed them stuff they're not supposed to eat. You got to create slave food. In fact, here is the creme de la creme of the, of the food, word in, food world industry. Government cheese. Now, some of y'all come from wealthy families. You have no idea what's up on the screen. And pardon me if you've never seen a block, a five-pound block of government cheese. This is the weirdest cheese ever created. It don't really taste good, but boy, it makes a good grilled cheese sandwich. And if you heat it up, it just bubbles. It don't melt. It's kind of weird. Almost as if the thing's got a mind of its own. And this, our tax dollars subsidized when we had too much milk. And if you saw the content of saturated fat and salt in this stuff, you would realize that literally what the government was giving to poor people in America was a box of future heart attacks. Slave food. Slave food. But that's not where they stop. The food and beverage industry spends approximately $2 billion a year marketing to children. The fast food industry spends more than $5 million every day marketing unhealthy foods to children. Nearly all, 98% of food advertisements viewed by children are products uh, that are high in fat, sugar, or sodium. Most, 79%, are low in fiber. Nearly 40% of children's diets come from added sugars and unhealthy fats. 40%. Only 21% of youth 6 to 19 eat the recommended five or more servings of fruits and vegetables each day. day. And five servings of fruits and vegetables a day is paltry. It is way uh, way too little an amount of whole food plant products. One study found that when children were exposed to television content with food advertising, they consumed 45% more food than children exposed to content with non-food advertising. So every time your child watches a commercial with a Happy Meal in it, and they're sitting there watching, eating food, they're going to eat more food than if they weren't watching that commercial. But here's where it gets crazy. Every day, African-American children see twice as many calories advertised in fast food commercials as white children. Now, this was the crazy thing in the study. How is that possible? TV's TV. Well, it's possible because, going back to education, African-American children watch, on average, eight hours of television a day. Depending on the study, white children watch between four and six hours, 
Asian children watch two hours or less on average a day. So don't tell me. I remember being in, the, being in, the, in, in a, and working in hospitals and, and people get mad and say, oh, these Asian doctors taking over. Listen, they children playing the violin and the cello while your child playing Nintendo. They read, in, they, for fun, they read a book. For fun, your child watching Nickelodeon. Don't get mad at them. What was interesting is this one. In a, in a new study, a team of researchers at the University of Illinois at Chicago and Arizona State University found that fast food chains in predominantly black neighborhoods were more than 60% more likely to advertise to children than in predominantly white neighborhoods. How did they do it? They offered toys. They made that more prevalent in poorer neighborhoods. Joe Furman says this in his book, Eat to Live. He says, the modern food and drug industry has converted a significant portion of the world's people to a new religion. Watch this. A massive cult of pleasure seekers who consume coffee, cigarettes, soft drinks, candy, chocolate, alcohol, processed foods, fast foods, and concentrated dairy fat, cheese, in a self-indulgent orgy of destructive behavior. He says, when the inevitable results of such bad habits appear, pain, suffering, sickness, and disease, the addicted cult members drag themselves to physicians and demand drugs to alleviate their pain, mask their symptoms, and cure their diseases. He says, these revelers become so drunk on their addictive behavior and the accompanying addictive thinking that they can no longer tell the difference between health and health care. Slave food. It's a food that causes you to become enslaved to a pharmaceutical medical industrial complex that, as Bill Maher says, there's no money in dead people and there's no money in healthy people. The money's in the middle. Just like the slaves of old, they want you just healthy enough to go to work and punch your clock. But they want to make sure that when you're done, you've got to line up outside of the clinic for high blood pressure medicine and cholesterol medicine and shots of insulin and, and, and oral diabetes medications so that they can eventually get you on cancer treating medications. And we celebrate when new drugs come out. When in fact, the diseases that we're trying to treat are in large part in our society self-inflicted. The truth of the matter is it's how we eat that makes us sick. Yet you will hardly go to a doctor that will tell you your disease could be cured if your kitchen got an overhaul rather than your medicine cabinet. And still, with all that, we cry for the flesh pots of Egypt. The Bible finishes the story. It says, and there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. The birds were allowed to float in the air about this high off the ground. That's how deep God is. Moses said, you can't do this, God. God said, watch me. He said, the wind and the birds hovered right over the camp where they were easily collected. And the people stood all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten omers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. He says, and while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of the place Kigbrothkotava, because there they buried the people that lusted. Last two or three slides, four or five slides. Number one, there's three spiritual lessons from this story. We'll get, we'll get with the physical health part of it more tonight. But number one, don't take the truth for granted. Manna represents the truth coming in from heaven. Doctrinal truth, just as it represents the health message truth. Spirit of Prophecy says it like this. 
I saw that many who profess to believe the truth for these last days think it strange that the children of Israel murmured as they journeyed, that after the wonderful dealings of God with them, that they should be so ungrateful as to forget what he had done for them, said the angel. You have done worse than they. She says, I saw that God had given his servants the truth so clear, so plain, that it cannot be resisted. Wherever they go, they have certain victory. Their enemies cannot get around their convincing truth. Light has been shed so clear that the servants of God can stand up anywhere and let truth clear and connected bear away the, bear away the victory. The first lesson is you've been given heavy truth, church. The manna was given so the Sabbath truth would be preserved. In fact, they were told to keep the Sabbath before the Ten Commandments were given. For all the people will tell you the Ten Commandments were given to the Jews. That is not true. Or was given at the Ten Commandments for the Jews. Before that time, the Sabbath was already in existence. Already in existence. Truth, church. As we face these last days, you are going to have to take the manna of biblical truth to heart. The world is going to want to send you the quail of lies. I challenge you to accept what God is sending you and understand what truth really is. The second one is this one. Never murmur in the presence of miracles. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we beat up pastors and church leaders and other folk. Let me tell you something. Murmuring against God and his work is a dangerous thing to do. Be very careful. She says... This great blessing has been prized. Had this, this great blessing, the blessing of the truth, has not been prized or even realized. If any trial arises, some begin to look back and think that they have had a hard, had a hard time. Some of the professed servants of God do not know what purifying trials are. They sometimes make trials for themselves, imagine trials, and are so easily discouraged, so easily hurt, self-dignity is so quick to, uh, self-dignity is so quick to feel that they injure themselves, injure others, and injure the cause. Satan magnifies their trials and puts thoughts into their minds that, if given way to, will destroy their influence and usefulness to others. When I give my testimony, this is one of the slides I always show. Do not dishonor God by words of repining. Stop complaining. But praise him with heart and soul and voice. Look on the bright side of everything. Do not bring a cloud or shadow into your home. Praise him who is the light of your countenance and your God. Do this and see how smoothly everything will go. Stop complaining. Last one. Don't run back to slavery. Whatever it is that God has gotten you out of, don't run back into it. It's his, it's his, it is his providence that brings us into varying circumstances. In each new position, we meet a different class of temptations. For some of you who are dealing with new jobs and new positions, how many times when we are placed in some trying situation, we think this is a wonderful mistake. I, how I wish I had stayed where I was before. Watch this, last slide. But why is it that you are not satisfied? It is because your circumstances have served to bring new defects in your character to your notice. But nothing is revealed but that which was already in you. You feel so uncomfortable when things go wrong because sometimes when things go wrong, God is showing us that we still have defects in our character that need to be worked on. That's why we are to rejoice when we get trials and tribulation. Because as Pastor Raphael said earlier, you're only taking your character with you to heaven. Don't go back into slavery. I was in South Africa preaching earlier this year. And you could play something soft. And um, they called me before we went to warn me that um, they were having riots. The students were rioting in Cape Town and that we might not be able to actually have the meetings at the university where we're supposed to have them. This was just a, a few months ago. And they said, yeah, there, there's, there's been violence and attacks, fires started. The riots are serious and we don't want anybody to be hurt, so we're not, we may not have it where we, we thought we were going to have it, but we wanted to have it on this government university campus. They said, pray about it, Dr. Walsh, because this is the best place we could have it. We don't want to have it at the Adventist University. 
We want to have it where the people are. And I began to pray, and they called me back. Actually, as I landed in South Africa, I went to the first place I was preaching in, in Port Elizabeth. And they said, everything cleared up. The kids are on break. We think we'll be fine to have the meetings where we were going to have them. So praise the Lord. I went and we did the meetings. God moved. Lives were given to Christ. Right on the campus, we witnessed the students. Great things were happening. After I left and got back to the States, they sent me an email and they said, Dr. Walsh, you're not going to believe this. The hand of God was holding back the winds of strife. I said, what do you mean? They said that Monday after the Sunday when you had the last meeting, that Monday, a petrol bomb went off right where we were having the meetings. While I was there, I met a man. Son was a gangster. In in South Africa, in Cape Town, they have a major gang problem. I saw more L.A. Dodgers hats as they model their gangs after ours. The number one gang, the biggest gang in Cape Town is called the Americans. And they carry an American flag. The second biggest biggest gang in Cape Town are called the Chicos. And they, with a couple other gangs, carry the British flag. So when the gangs go to fight, it's the American flag against the British flag. I said, this is like the American Revolution all over again. I preached in front of a, 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 a place that they put an up, up on a cliff where they lived in trailers, the containers, not even trailers, to rehabilitate gang members from drugs and gangs. And I preached there. A bunch of them gave their lives to Christ. It was, it was amazing. And the spirit those guys gave me, it was just amazing. One of them afterwards said, listen, I've got to take you into the neighborhood where I'm from because I want you to pray with my family. Some of the Adventists that were with me said, I'm not so sure. That's a pretty rough neighborhood. That's a bad neighborhood. I said, I'm from America. I've been to the projects in Brooklyn. I've been to Watts. I'm sure I can handle whatever you got in Africa. Boy, when I got to them projects, boy. I said, I ain't never seen nothing like this. And they brought me in. There was a dog. Boy, one of the meanest, most wickedest dogs I'd ever seen. Standing right in front of where they were taking us. And they just kind of Shanty built this project. I can't even explain it. They were bringing me into the house, and that dog was, I said, listen, I believe in the Lord, and I love the Lord. <laughs> but y'all going to put that dog away. Somebody going to put that dog away before I walk too close to that house. When I walked into that house, there was a man laying on a bed. He was about this big around. He was in a fetal position on the bed. There was a pregnant girl sitting on a chair next to him, and and the mother of the house, the matriarch, was in the kitchen. She she saw me, and before I could say anything, she just grabbed me, hugged me, kissed me on the cheek, and said, Pastor, I'm glad you're here. I need you to pray for my husband. Now, they spoke Afrikaans. These These weren't the Kosa tribe people. These weren't the Zulu people. These were what they call coloreds in South Africa. Interesting, different than the United States completely. And this man was laying on the bed, dying, coughing, lungs rattling. And I'm like, whoa. So I said, what happened to this man? They said he was an OG, an original gang. I said, really? All the way over here. He was in it when there was a gunfight and, and a bullet hit him straight across his face. It hit this eye and blew out this eye, broke his nose, both cheeks, and blew out the other eye. He's blind for the rest of his life. And, and they said, at, 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 at the end, they said, and, and he has some kind of lung disease as well as tuberculosis. He's got what? Tuberculosis. Now I'm going to need Jesus to cover me. I tell you all of that to tell you that this man was delivered from gangs at one point. God had gotten him out of it. He had turned his life around. South Africa, some of the strongest Christians anywhere in the world. And he was on the right path. But something about the flesh pots of Egypt called him back. 
And he went back to his OG lifestyle. And in Afrikaans, he explained to us that he was so tough, he was so feared, he was so bad. And one of the young ladies that was translating had to tell him, listen, it doesn't matter who you were in the world. If you don't change your ways, you will die here a forgotten gangster. Some of us, God has liberated you from stuff and we've run back to the flesh pots of Egypt. Like that man that day, you've gone back to where God got you out of. I want to challenge you today to take a stand for Jesus. We talked a lot about food and nutrition and that is incredibly important. I wanted to do that because of the theme for the month, but I want to leave you with the idea that Jesus is coming soon. And I want to lead you with the idea that everything we do, whether we eat or we drink, we need to do all to the glory of God. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you, so much so that you would be willing to share it as a witness. As always, thank you again for joining us and tune in weekly for more inspirational messages that will prayerfully give you a more intimate relationship with God.